Welcome to Salem Heights Church. We are so glad to have you joining us. If you're new and would like to find out more about us, you can visit our website at salemheightschurch.org. Or if you have questions or if we can help you get connected, you can email us at info at salemheightschurch.org. Aren't we so thankful that the anchor holds no matter what the storm, whether it comes in like a cyclone and is gone or if it just keeps raining and the wind keeps blowing, we know that we are on solid ground because of Jesus. And so we want to worship him together. Well, hello, Salem Heights family and guests. We welcome you here today. We're glad that you're here to join us for worship. Uh, we're gonna hear from the word in a moment, but I wanted to offer the scripture to us as we get ready to worship here today. Uh, it says this in Psalm 18, it says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield and he's the horn of my salvation or the horn could mean strength. So he's the strength of my salvation. He's my stronghold. So he's the one we can count on, the one we should run to, the one who is worthy of praise. So let us sing to him today. My hope is built on nothing less. Sing that. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood in righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, in Christ alone, in
trust in His righteousness alone for less to stand before the throne. In Christ alone, in Christ alone, in cornerstone, and we can make strong in the Savior's love. And through the storm, is He is Lord, Lord of
Father, we do adore you, and you are worthy of every bit of praise that we sing to you today. We are so thankful that you love and care about us, that you've sent your son to die for us so that we might have a living hope. God, we are so thankful that one day we are going to see you face to face. We're going to see your son Jesus face to face. We're going to fall down and worship and join the chorus that's been going on for so long now. God, we look forward to that moment. I pray that you'd keep our eyes on you in these days because that is what is going to settle us. That's what's going to give us peace. That is what we need to do. Keep our eyes up knowing someday your son is going to return. It could be today. We pray that you'd help us now as we look into your word. Pray that it would not come back void. Pray that we'd be changed as a result and live for you even this week. In Christ's precious name, we pray all these things. Amen. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them now and find your way to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, is where we're going to be today as we uh, are in our series, The Faithful Prayers of Fractured Lives. And Pastor Justin, it's good to be with you again this morning. And yeah. uh, we just wanted to really quick, as people are finding their way to Scripture, 
um, just kind of hit on, again, uh, our encouragement to families to be uh, gathering with other families or friends or households uh, to take in the service together. Yeah. And uh, maybe you can just kind of remind us why that is that so important to us. Yeah, we, we want to uh, gather together to be able to hear the word, respond to it, but then be held accountable to it. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea about not forsaking the gathering together of believers as is the habit of some, but it says you're actually called to do something, to stir one another up to love and good deeds. You hear the word, you respond to it, and it changes your direction. We're not allowed to meet in great big groups, but we haven't been stopped from meeting in small numbers. Yeah. And so we can meet with other families and it will help us be able to follow through and uh, allow the conviction to really settle in. When somebody else sees us respond to the word, it uh, changes how deep that truth goes. Yeah. And so uh, we just want to let our families know if you need help finding another family or or getting encouragement on what exactly you should be doing if you are hosting, uh, we would love to support you, pray with you, do whatever we can to make those profitable. And so you can contact the church, uh, info at salemheightschurch.org, or call and we'll get you connected with a team we've put together to help with just like that. Yeah. Well, uh, this morning we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 1, and we've been looking in this series at different scenarios in which um, there's prayers recorded in Scripture from people who are in the midst of some sort of chaos or turmoil or brokenness. And this morning we're going to be looking at the words, a prayer from Nehemiah. And uh, to maybe set up the kind of the scene for us, um, what is Nehemiah you know, what's the context here at the beginning of this letter, and what is he facing that's led him to brokenness? Yeah, and, and we'll see this develop through the passage, but Nehemiah is one of those folks who had been, his, his, his generation was led into captivity from Jerusalem and Israel. Israel collapses. They're in Babylon, then uh, Medo-Persia, and he has, as a result of being in captivity, been brought up through the ranks to be the cupbearer for the king. But he is still concerned about Israel and in particular about Jerusalem, the place where worship of the one true God is supposed to be. And so his heart is, is pointed that direction yeah. and he's in turmoil when we see him yeah. in the beginning of this book. Yeah. And so as we read, this is a, a man who is uh, Jewish, he's, he's an Israelite, and he is getting a report about his nation being broken. Yeah. And he's moved to pray in a certain way for God to intervene, yeah. for God to come through, be faithful, and to, to use him. But before we read our text this morning, we yeah. were talking about an important distinction that we need to read now, today, um, when we read something about this, uh, something like this, when it's a man um, praying for the nation of Israel. How yeah. should we approach that as Americans? Yeah, I think there's a really important distinction when we're reading the scriptures that inspired Nehemiah to pray and weep and when he was reading those scriptures because Nehemiah has been soaking in the word and what we'll make mm -hmm. that point here in a yeah. moment. But um, he's being influenced by promises that were made to Israel. And God says, I will do these things for you in a timely fashion in a certain season. Those are promises made to Israel in that season. And so those promises are not for us in the United States. So we don't respond to them the same way. But there are principles that we see that are in Nehemiah's life that we can take for today. So he's responding to scripture and it causes him to pray in a certain way that makes it an impact on his nation. In the same way, we should be responding to Scripture, and, and it will change our result. But the same Scriptures that shaped his heart, uh, we can pray uh, or we can read those. Yeah. And that storyline can impact us and, and bolster our faith. It reminds us of how we should be acting today. Yeah. But he's responding to promises that were for Israel. God told them, 70 years you'll be in captivity. He told Jeremiah that. Um, and so he's reading that and hoping for that day, saying, God, will you keep your word? Yeah. So So there's definitely a lesson to be learned yeah. and a pattern to be followed as we pray. Because I think what made this a timely message for us is uh, our, our nation is divided. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of uh, opinions and a lot of things that are really causing people to fight and to yeah. argue 
and and we see the outcome and the results of some of that brokenness and so very much similar the similarity here is our nation is broken how should we respond as those who are faithful to god and and christians can be broken for their nation if it's not israel We, we can be broken for our nation and deeply desiring it to be uh, revived or to come to Christ. It, it, uh, the desire for God to move is not tied to one season or one chapter of the book. It's all the way through. We should be asking God, move, and we would love to see you save our people yeah. or change our situation. And so our commitment in this series is always to, this sermon is not going to be about a political commentary on no. the nation's landscape. It's going to be about what does the Bible guide us to do as a citizen yeah. in a similar way. So let's read. Yeah. We're going to read a good portion of chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 4. Um, it says this, When I heard these words, this is Nehemiah, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. I said, Lord, the God of the heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. Let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. We have acted corruptly toward you and have not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances you gave your servant Moses. Please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell. They are your servants and your people. You redeemed them by your great power and strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. At the time, I was the king's cupbearer. So we see this prayer, and this is a prayer for me personally that um, I, I've studied because in it the pattern is so great. I mean, for us to follow in regards yeah. to sometimes when we find ourselves in a crisis or we have a great need, we jump straight to God, help me, give me this thing that I want. But in it, we see Nehemiah really approach the Lord super humble. Yeah. Uh, and so as we walk through this, we see some some things here that we want to highlight. Yeah. He prays as he's praying for his nation. So what's the first one? Well, yeah, and I I think that uh, you're highlighting something really important. There's so many things we could unpack from this prayer that uh, are, are inferences we could make into Nehemiah's life. So we could say he's this kind of man and he thinks these kind of thoughts yeah. and he does these kind of things. Because what comes pouring out of him um, is the result of what he's been putting in. Yeah. So he just, he just um, starts to break all over the place with these truths that he's been soaking in. But I think the biggest thing that we noted when we were looking at how this prayer should shape us today, um, we became aware that knowing God's word leads to a properly stirred heart. Mm. So the uh, knowing God's word um, is evident inside this, this uh, structure of this prayer. He begins uh, at the very beginning um, with a consistent statement, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, he begins to share stuff that actually comes out of their covenantal language all the way back to Moses. So the way that that Moses would structure things, he begins to pray just like this great leader of Israel and then works through statements out of Deuteronomy chapter 30. And he begins to uh, show that not only does he know Deuteronomy 30, but Daniel 9 and Jeremiah 29 start pouring out of him. So he has all of these structures that come from other prayers and other promises that God's made to Israel. But it's just in the moment, he's not referencing and saying anything other than Moses. He's like, since the time of Moses, bang, 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 he starts unpacking scripture. This truth and this truth and this truth are true, and I haven't followed them the way I should, nor have my people. And so his understanding of what God had already said, God had made these promises to the people. Because he had chosen Israel to be the people, his chosen people, through whom 
the Messiah would come, and, yeah. and he has a special relationship. But he, he said, if you're unfaithful, there's going to be a consequence to that. Yeah. But in the midst of your unfaithfulness, if you will turn from those ways and, and turn back to me, repent, Yeah. I will gather you together. And so Nehemiah is looking at the landscape, yeah, and, he, and he's he knows he's been reading the word, and he knows this this promise about being in exile, and as he begins to hear the report from this man that he interacts with, who had just come back from Jerusalem, and he says the wall has been destroyed, the city's in ruins. Nehemiah starts to put together the pieces of scripture in the in the scene, and it begins to come out of him. Yeah, he is uh, broken for his people, and. Um, Jeremiah actually helps, I think, give a little bit of framework, which it, it uses the same type of language that Nehemiah is uh, using, but he actually gives him a promise. Um, it says, uh, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That, that's, uh, this is graduation season, <laughs> right? So like all of our graduates have this posted somewhere in there. And you will call upon me, and you will pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek with all your heart. Mm -hmm. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I have uh, sent you into exile. Now, this exact chapter says, when will that happen? Seventy years from the time that I drove you into Babylon. So here's Nehemiah 70 years later, and that's the language that we see coming out of his prayer. You said to Moses, you will drive us into the nations if we don't follow you, and it happened. But in the end of his prayer, he said, I, I'm using language of regathering now, but Lord, you also said you would regather us after 70 years. And when he hears from Hananiah that nothing is happening, it's all destroyed. Yeah. It's still not, there's no sign of recollection. He breaks to say, Lord, I believe your word. It, it's been true. Will you do something now? Will you restore us? Yeah, and I think the key here for me as we were talking about this was if I as a, as a habit and as a pattern, as a follower of Christ, am in the word of God, yeah. and I'm reading God, and I'm letting it inform my, my mind, it's also going to uh, help me process my heart. Yeah. And so when I begin to live in a world that is, is, is broken and I'm seeing the conflict and I'm seeing the unrest, God's word, because that's what I've been putting into me, is going to begin to inform me, right? And it's actually going to help me feel right and to see right yeah. what's going on here and actually respond rightly. So a properly stirred heart is one that responds like God yeah. over the same reasons that he is stirred and, it, and it, we respond in like kind. Yeah. I. I I was telling you, if you've ever gone to a movie with somebody, you're watching the movie, but they read the book, <laughs> right? And the whole time they're like, oh, 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 do you know what's about to happen? And you're like, be quiet, man, just right. hang out. But they already are informed. They can see the scene coming together and the structure happens a certain way. And they're like, oh, this big moment is right. about to happen. Well, if you've read scripture and then you look at our world, you actually start seeing things on the world scene that God's spoken about. Yeah. And Christians should be those people that are saying, oh, man, do you know what happens next? If we've been reading the book, it starts to stir our heart, and we begin to pray, Lord God, let it happen the way you have designed it. Yeah. Let those things be so. So our heart is properly stirred. By that we mean it's actually stirred the direction that God would have us go rather than just stirred up and emotional. Yeah. But it can, it, it can cause emotion, and there can be brokenness. There yep. can be uh, discouragement. Uh, we even see in Christ's life where he would come upon a group of people, and in the scriptures, the gospels record for us how he responded to them. Yeah. He was moved with compassion. He felt pity for them in yeah. a deep part of his being. And so what we see here in Nehemiah is our second point, is that a properly stirred heart then runs to prayer because that's yeah. what he does here. He's gotten this report. Now he's beginning to understand it's all coming together. He understands what God has said about this promise to exile them and bring them back. He's hearing the report of how Jerusalem is, and yeah. that stirs him to pray. Yeah, and I think we, we do what we practice, mm. right? Yeah. So what we see in Nehemiah, he hears this report, and instantly just coming out of him is the result of his study, his reflection, 
he's been soaking in the word. He's been lifting this up before the Lord. So he's been a man of prayer the entire time. This wasn't the first prayer right. he's prayed. In fact, the indication is that he prays for four months, mm -hmm. right? So he's praying and praying and praying, and he just gives us a token prayer uh, of that example. But he's been practicing something, and then what comes out of him in the right moment is what he's been practicing. You, you had a, an experience with your uncle where yeah. they would actually practice certain things. Yeah, one of my uncles um, has volunteered for search and rescue down in California, and I was visiting him, and he was telling me about some of the training that they go through, and yeah. they'll go to these places, these cliffs or off bridges, and they'll take one of their team and they'll basically put him in a situation That's crazy. where he's dangling off a bridge yeah. and it's replicating that he can't get himself out of there. So the team has to go rescue. Yeah. And so this process is you look at the pictures and for me, uh, heights, I like roller coasters, but yeah. like there are certain times you just you can feel your palms start to get sweaty. <laughs> yeah. And yet they're practicing in these situations where, I mean, they have to clip on carabiners and make sure the knots are secure and they'll send a guy down. And the other guy has to just replicate someone who's incapacitated or unable to Man. save himself. And they have to go through the process of the team doing that. But they put themselves in very real life or death situations to practice the thing so that when they get into a moment where they are trying, it is a really emergency that what comes out of them is what they practiced. Yeah. And when the adrenaline hits and there's all the circumstances swirling around, they have practiced the routine, they have done the process, they know what to do so that they can stay steady and actually respond appropriately. Yeah. And that was what just kind of came to mind as Nehemiah was a man, we believe, of prayer. Yeah. And so when he is reminded, he's, he's seen here what's going on for his nation, what comes out of him, what he goes to is what he's already been doing. He goes yeah. back to the Lord to pray. And, and just like what your uncle experienced, he can read when a moment is dangerous or it's in need of direct action, yeah. and he's practiced for that moment. Nehemiah sees that th this is a moment for direct action, and his first thing, the first step on the chart for him is, I gotta go to my knees, yeah. get before the Lord, and then take my direction yeah. from him. So knowing God's word leads to a properly stirred heart. Secondly, a properly stirred heart runs to prayer. But the third thing that we have is that a powerful prayer life leads to personal action. Yeah. This is an important one for us because <clears throat> sometimes when we see this issue, yeah. uh, we see right now our nation, there's all kinds of things that are wrong that need to be addressed. Yeah. Um, we can have an opinion, we can have a desire, but sometimes we don't see ourselves as part of the solution. Yeah. And oftentimes we don't see ourselves as part of the problem. Yeah. But what scripture tells us is that when we actually pray and talk to the Lord and, and, and uh, you know, seek his will, oftentimes that's going to stir us to be the one that says, all right, Lord, let, let me be the first one to go on your yeah. behalf. And that's what we see here in Nehemiah as we get to the end of the prayer here. He's now going to go to the king, which is a very dangerous thing to go to the king. Yeah. You're not a native. You're not a relative. You are a yep. servant. For you to approach the king is a very dangerous thing. And he is saying, Lord, I'm going to go to the king, and I'm going to ask him for permission to go and rebuild the wall and to have the supplies to do it. God, would you give me favor? Would you allow, yeah. this to, to, to would you allow him to respond in a way that's positive? So Nehemiah is basically saying, there's a huge problem out here. But I'm not going to just sit back and let everybody, somebody else take care of it. God, yeah. if you need me, here I am. Send me. And he does just the right thing and says just the right thing, and it moves the heart of the king. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really gold. One of the things uh, that we highlighted when we were talking about this is that dependence and direction go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. um, it, if you see a kid that's wandered off uh, in the mall or at the store and they're scared, you, you don't see the mom come over uh, and, and just pat them on the head and say, well, I'm, I'm still here, I'm still in the store, and then walk off and leave them, right? Or you don't see the little kid finally find their mom and grab onto their hand for a moment, okay, I'm soothed, and then let go. No, they reach down, they connect hands, right? And the little one takes direction from the parent right. and goes wherever the parent leads right. them to go. So they're scared, they're overwhelmed, they cry out. They grab hands, and then the parent shows them the way to safety and how to join me in what I'm doing. Yeah. That's what's happening here is Nehemiah is crying out. He's grabbing his hand, but he doesn't let go at that moment. Just touch him and say, okay, I feel better. You're here, and stay lost. Right. 
he grabs his hand and gets direction. And that's what prayer should drive us to. It's not just a, a, a way to self-soothe. It's a way to have proper energy. Yeah. And that may lead you into any number of things that God would have you be a part of. Yeah. But it starts with prayer. Nehemiah's a cupbearer. He's, yeah. he's not a wall builder. Yeah. You know? And so it's like, Lord, I'll, I'll go, but I need you to guide me. So I'm going to need to depend on you, and I need you to direct me. And, I, and this idea of the parent holding the hand, in, in yeah. chapter 2, he goes to the king, and the king actually responds in favor. Yeah. And in, in the CSB, at the end of verse 8, it says, The king granted my requests, for the gracious hand of God was on me. Yeah. So he's he, acknowledging that. Every good thing for he and Ezra, as they go through their storyline, they're saying, man, this happened. It's only because God protected me. Yeah. I got all the way through to Jerusalem with all of the gold and all yeah. the building stuff. Nobody robbed us. That was God's fault. Yeah, the bad guys stayed away. That's God. Well, sometimes for me, though, yeah. I'll pray, and I, I feel like, man, okay, the Lord is just giving me a really clear vision, direction, what to do. Yeah. And I can get so excited to go and do it that I let go of the hand. Yeah. And I just try to go and start doing it on my own. For so sure. I have now the direction, yeah. but if I'm not connected to the Lord, uh, things can get wonky pretty quick. Yeah. In fact, I, I think um, what we highlighted is the second kind of subpoint to that is that ungrounded action can go shockingly wrong. <laughs> I actually printed off uh, a statement from some electricians. So uh, platinum electricians, they have uh, some teaching things for like public service announcements. Yeah, yeah and why you need to have grounded electricity, why you need to be grounded, top three reasons. It's a protection against overload, it helps direct the electrical current to the proper place, and it stabilizes the levels, the voltage levels. It brings stability. This is exactly what prayer is supposed to do. Mm -hmm. It's gonna protect you from overload, it helps get the energy going to the right location, and it stabilizes the levels. You're not running too hot or too cold, You're you're staying balanced in your perception. If you don't have grounded electricity, that electricity goes, instead of going to the place that will provide energy, um, it, it can go into the people that are watching from the uh, sides, it can hit the crowd, it can shoot out into the ground. Uh, it becomes ineffective or mm -hmm. super dangerous. Right. And that's the same way with us. If we have a lot of energy going through us and it's not grounded in the Lord, scripture and, and our time in prayer, our energy, could actually become useless. We will end up expending a lot of energy with good intentions, but it'll just shock and harm people around us rather than moving the weights and systems that are supposed to be moved by God's intention. Yeah. And so, so. Nehemiah, he is in the Word, and so that leads to a properly stirred heart. That properly stirred heart then runs to prayer. That powerful prayer for life powerful prayer life leads to personal action. That's a tongue twister there. Yeah. But here's the last point that we see is that personal action can lead to national revival. I, I think this is what we've got to believe. So are we just uh, handing out Christian niceties right now to kind of dole away the time and, until something else happens mm -hmm. big? Uh, are we just trying to placate ourselves and read a little scripture and numb the pain until some, somebody else does something real and profitable? Mm -hmm. Or is this actually going to result in something that is um, life-shaping, maybe history-shaping? Yeah. I really do believe, we don't believe intrinsically that prayer is that powerful because we always ask that question. But scripture indicates every great movement that happens in scripture happens, you see prayer at the center of it, or prayer at the beginning of it, uh, or prayer that fills the entirety of it. But God moves in these moments of prayer where we yield and He acts, and He does crazy, uh, amazing things, starts with prayer. Yeah. Uh, and um, so I do believe that our entire nation can be transformed if Christians would get on their knees and get their marching orders from God rather than from other places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's not the fact that we are Christians and yeah. now we possess some ability to go and do this apart from God, but that through the humble, yeah. submissive will to say, God, here I am. Yeah. I'm dependent upon you, direct my steps, but if you want to use me to be part of the solution, if you want to use me to to take your word, to, to let it, me be a proclaimer of truth, or me to be your hands yeah. and feet through service, Lord, I, I will do that. There are lots of stories in the history of, of Christendom where 
it wasn't the the strongest yeah. the most privileged the most uh those who had maybe the opportunities but just the faithful yeah and in their obscurity remaining faithful to god who god uses to transform nations to transform nation. groups of people and i know you had an example yeah i mean we, we talked about so many when we were mm -hmm. there it's just an example of that uh, tychicus and uh, uh portia all the way back in the days of the martyrs in, in rome who go in as no-name people but end up because of the way that they face death and proclaim christ it actually stops um, that activity in Rome all, all the way through the ages. But one that stood out to us because we could see the impacts of it in recent history was uh, George Whitfield. Mm -hmm. um, here's this guy who grows up in a tavern, and because he's so entertaining as a little kid, they set him on the, the tops <laughs> of tables to bring people in, and he would shout out and perform for people, uh, and he was used to doing that until he comes to Christ and realizes he's lost. Mm -hmm. And he wants to preach, but he's not given a pulpit because he's so focused on evangelism and sharing with the gospel with the lost. They're saying, you're a little too radical, you're a little too crazy. He says, well, if you won't allow me to bring people into the church, and, and one of the issues was they, they didn't pay enough to sit, sit in there, and he's like, well, I, I need to share the gospel with them, though, before they care enough to pray for a, or pay for a seat. Mm. So he goes out into the highways and byways, and the result is in a nation where every sixth house at that point was a, pu a pub where people would get paid and they would come home uh, after they had spent all of their cash at these pubs, uh, destroyed their lives, the, the nation was quickly going into ruin. Whitfield begins to preach and people's hearts are absolutely being transformed and the entire nation begins to wake up. Yeah. It has a great awakening. Uh, and it transforms the nation. It actually impacted uh, our nation. There's a famous story about a farmer, Nathan Cole, who had heard that Whitfield landed in the United States. He wanted to hear this great preacher, and when they heard that he was going to be in a little town near theirs, they dropped their rakes right where they were at. They ran to the stable, put the, uh, you know, saddled the horse, and they get together, and they start riding, and he says, and I see off in the distance at this little town, this cloud, it looks like a fog has descended on the city, but it turns out it wasn't a fog. It was thousands of people coming from all of these places, all these farms around, and they are racing there to hear the word of God. Now, he wasn't a believer, but he had heard that this man would preach to them, and they go running to this place, and he says, I, I look at this guy, it seemed like the angels had empowered a slight little man. Mm. He begins to speak, and the entire crowd goes into a hushed silence, over 4,000 people from all these farms and all these places around had run in with the same kind of urgency. He begins to preach and they listen and he says this. He said, my hearing him preach gave me a heart wound and by God's blessing my old foundation was broken up. I saw that my righteousness would not save me. He says, and on that day, Cole gave his life to Christ. Mm -hmm. And it was one guy who just in a tavern had been taught to be entertaining but then gives his life to Christ and is so touched, he repents first, and in the same pattern that hit Whitfield at the very beginning, that he said, I'm gonna fall on my knees, read the word, become convicted, change, and then share it. That's the pattern that impacted him, and he took it to a nation, and it impacted England and the United States. Wow. Our two nations were shaped by that. I think this is, for me, one of the things that studying this passage again for this message, it, it just stands out to me is God isn't looking for the perfect evangelist, yeah. the perfect full-time pastor. He's just looking for faithful followers who yeah. will, in the moment of crisis, in the moment where they see and perceive a hurting group of people, whether that's a nation, a city, yeah. or even in their own home, will go to their knees and pray and say, God, I know that you can fix this, and if you need me to be part of that, use me however you want. I, I think there's lots of people in our church, maybe who are even watching this morning, who God has done something in their lives, but perhaps they don't see themselves as the individual whom, through whom God could do yeah. amazing things. And I would say to them, it's not going to be because you're going to need to have all the strength or even have the direction. Yeah. You need to just say, Lord, you've done it for me, and if you want to use me to help it, do it in somebody else, here I am. Yeah, and, and that's literally what Nehemiah did. I, I was just thinking about this while we were talking. Yeah. In, in Nehemiah chapter 9, he takes that cupbearer, right? So even like Whitfield, who was in a tavern, here's this cupbearer. I'm just handing out wine to the king, right? right? 
And by Nehemiah chapter 9, it goes from a guy of deep conviction saying, Lord, what should we do? And the next few chapters, he is on his knees uh, praying. He stands up and they actually build a box for him, a platform, and he preaches to his Israel. All of Israel is out in front of them and they fall down in sackcloth and ashes. They begin to weep and confess read the word for a quarter of the day and confess for a quarter of the day. That's what they did until all of Israel had bowed the knee and said, Lord, whatever you want, that's what we will do. Man. And this sweeping revival happens because one guy had been reading the word and said, Lord, what, what's next? Yeah. Didn't say, Lord, give me a platform to speak because I have no. the solutions. He said, God, just use, use me. me. Yeah. Yeah. It's profound. So we're obviously living in a day and age where our nation is divided, it's broken, um, we're heading into, um, you know, we're, we're actually at the very beginning of moving into the thick of a new political season. Yeah. Uh, it's an election year. Um, my hope from our, our church this morning is to hear that our desire would be for our people to be in the Word of God, to be in prayer, and to let that be what comes out of them and allow themselves to be used by God as He sees fit. Yeah. I know we have some questions for folks to consider as they uh, talk this morning. Yeah, the first one that we talked about was this. What are some cultural barriers to revival in our nation? Mm -hmm. So what is it that our nation is doing right now that is getting in the way of them seeing God uh, or seeing what God says in Scripture they ought to be about Yeah. or even the direction of the nations? There's a blindness in the world to the fact that Scripture highlights the things that are going on right now. He actually said were going to happen. Mm -hmm. Wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, all kinds of chaos. He's saying this is going to happen in the end times. It's going to be the beginning of birth pains. Yeah. But right now, what are some of the things that are causing our nation not to see what God says about our current situation? Yeah. The second question uh, for you to discuss is a good one. It's what are some scriptures that should inform our prayer for our nation today? Obviously, these passages in Deuteronomy and Jeremiah were the ones that were inside Nehemiah that came yeah. out and helped direct his steps. And so we'd love for uh, people to come together as families or groups and just talk about what are the scriptures that come to mind that really should be guiding our thoughts and our actions right now. Uh, as we pray for our country. Yeah, and we're really asking folks at this moment to begin to actually look up some scriptures too. Yeah. Just take a few moments and begin to pray. There'll be some quick ones that come to mind, but go beyond that. Research a few statements. Uh, remind yourself of things that you have read and say, what, what is the greater list mm -hmm. of scriptures that we believe apply to this season? And then begin to pray those scriptures over our situation, first our own lives and then our nation. Yeah. The last question. The last question is, what is God calling you to do? Nehemiah, once again, created dependency by falling on his knees, but he reached up, he held the hand of God and began to do something. God is calling you to do something real, tangible in this season to help and to, to be a part of the solution. What is it he's calling you to do? And the clarifier is not what is he calling that person to do or that person to do, but what are you being called personally to do? Yeah, and the fine the balance here, the fine line is, it can take time to discern what God is calling you to do. Yeah. So that's okay. Don't act yeah. too quickly. But when He makes it clear, don't resist. Trust yeah. Him like Nehemiah. Yeah. And let Him use you uh, to be an instrument of change, a, a proclaimer of the gospel, uh, yeah. ultimately. So. Well, uh, hopefully this message is uh, fitting and timely. We trust that it is uh, as God's laid it on our heart. But I'd love to close this in prayer this morning yeah, as we yeah, wrap up. Pray. God, I thank you for this message. I thank you for these uh, reminders from the story of Nehemiah, Lord. God, a man who uh, wasn't seeing himself as perhaps the solution, but saw that you had a plan because he was in your word. Mm -hmm. And as he began to pray, God, and ask for you to to be faithful to that promise and to carry out the plan that you had already said you would do, that he made himself available. God, the whole scriptures tell us about your plan for, for mankind and we're included in that. Talks about what you have called your church to be, what you are doing, God, why you are allowing a time to pass still uh, right now before you come back. God, help us to not only discern what your will is for the world, 
but God, how you want to use us. And God, as you begin to lead us and direct us, that we would not become independent of you, but that we'd become dependent of you as we seek direction, God. God, we do pray for our country. We pray for our leaders. We pray for uh, all the different uh, decisions that need to be made, God. And we just pray that you would use your church to be a beacon of light and proclaimers of gospel truth, God, knowing that it's only in you that we will ever see any meaningful change, God. So we trust you with that, and we ask that you would guide our steps as we walk through these days. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.